Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. So we're looking at Acts uh, chapters really 8, um, 12 or 13 through 20 today in our message series, How the Church, uh, Good News Now. But today I'm calling it How the Church Grows. And while I say we're going to be in Acts 13 to 20, I'm actually going to do, we're going to be actually in chapters 11 and 12 mostly because I, it's important to set up the whole scene. The eight chapters of 13 through 20 in Acts are an exciting, fast-moving part of the New Testament. And, and Luke really is explaining the spread of the gospel, the spread of the kingdom of God through really the known, kind of the heart of the Roman Empire of that time. And in each place, of course, there was a mix of those who believed and those who rejected the gospel, the good news message. But in each place where Paul went, they would establish, he would establish a church under the government leadership. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me today. Just need to take a breath. Under the leadership of, of elders and uh, then Paul or whoever was preaching would just move on and repeat this pattern. And there, as you saw in the video, their ministry was accompanied by miraculous signs and wonders, evidence of the divine nature of what was happening and the power of that message. Now, keep in mind that the Roman Empire was, you know, just on a tear at this time. Uh, you know, it was just growing. Um, they probably reached its, you know, the peak of its of its influence in about 120 A.D. So we're talking right now, uh, early, you know, early first century, 40 to, to 50 uh, A.D. And uh, the Roman Empire was a totally pagan uh, culture. In addition to all those gods that they worshipped, there was violence, abortion, slavery, pedophilia, sexual hedonism, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism. I mean, it was all there and, and typical of the time. And into that setting comes the good news of Jesus Christ. And God sent His Son, Jesus. So Jesus came for our salvation so that we could know what is true and what is right. But then Jesus sends us to make that message known to the to the world and make that truth known everywhere. So Paul says it this way uh, in Romans chapter 10 when he's writing to them. He, he says it, explains it like this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a great promise. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell without being sent? That business of being sent out to make Jesus known is where we're going to land in the message today. And as much as I would love to just dig into Paul's adventures and Paul's encounters and his journeys, um, he was in places like what would today be Cyprus and Turkey and Macedonia and Greece and Italy and all these amazing places. Um, we're going to go back to where it started. And it was mentioned there in the video that the church in Syrian Antioch. 
And this church in Syria, in Antioch, was the first place that believers were called Christians. I've got a couple little pictures here. Uh, Christians just mean like Christ or little Christs. Uh, you see it in red. Today, Antioch of Syria is actually part of Turkey, but it's very close to the Syrian border. And uh, they've absorbed, you know, so many refugees have, have passed through there. And then there, I've got a picture of modern-day Antioch. Today, it's called Antakya, Turkey. And uh, Sarah Stambach took this picture for us a few couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it, but even at that time, it was a big city. It was an important trade city. It was on trade routes. And so you'd have people from all over kind of the known world there in Antioch. And, and uh, you might uh, even wonder why uh, I'm going to talk about an ancient church today when, um, you know, there's so many pressing things on your heart and on your mind. Today, you're dealing with crazy stuff like, you know, should I let my child be vaccinated? And you're wondering what's going to happen to your industry if those boats never get unloaded, right? And you're, you're wondering how you're going to pay for $5 gasoline. Like those are the things that are on your mind right now. I get it. And they're on my mind too. I promise you. Uh, but the reality is that the gospel first spread in a world very much like what we're experiencing right now. Right? So corrupt, pagan, immoral, tyrannical, like all those things, they were dealing with that, we're dealing with it, and that's why it's important for us to understand the power of the gospel. The church is still on mission, and the church, listen, the church is not an institution. The church is people. The church is you and me. We are the church. And so we are called to be the church in all these ways. And so we're going to go back and look at this Antioch church because without this growing church, we would not have had Paul's missionary journeys that went after this. And we would not have the expansion of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. And um, I don't always remember to do this, but if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today? Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 19. I'll be reading to the end of the chapter. It says this, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. And the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So this is the first time we have a mixed church of Jews and Gentiles together. So when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that believers were first called Christians. Now during this time, verse 27, during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up in the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. 
We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. All right, so there are three easy-to-emulate qualities that the church uh, in Antioch, and I think any Jesus-following, biblically faithful believer can emulate these as well. So I'm going to give you three things. First of all, this. The Antioch church was a discipled church, a discipled church. And you see that, um, you know, it, it discipled just means they were taught well in God's word, taught well in the scriptures. You see it in verses 25 and 26. Barnabas went to Tarsus, he got Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. They had a good teaching ministry. And listen, when someone becomes a believer, they have to be retrained in a biblical worldview. Those The, the people around you, they're not thinking uh, according to Scripture. It's just not how someone is raised. And so people have to be retrained in a biblical understanding. Because as believers, we think differently. We function differently. We function biblically. Our desire and our intent and our goal is to function and think out of Scripture. Here's the problem. When the church copies culture, it dies. It always does. It just shrivels to a small, kind of insignificant, minimal impact institution when we copy culture. And instead, we have to be different than the culture. We have to stand apart from the culture. Um, every believer needs to learn to think outside of how your prevailing worldview is a prevailing culture. Now, we're going to be different. We're going to be faithful. We're going to use the language of the culture. We want to speak in ways that people can understand, just like if you went to, um, if you went to, well, um, patient, you're from the Congo. If I go to the Congo, I'd better learn French or uh, some other language, you know, some Congolese language, so I can communicate properly if someone there doesn't speak English, right? Um, so, you know, you want to speak the language, but we don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, I want to talk about Barnabas. Barnabas is just an amazing guy. I think if I had to pick a favorite New Testament character, it's Barnabas. I just love this guy so much. He did, I, I would say he is probably the unsung hero of the New Testament church. He... um you, you first get introduced to him at the end of Acts chapter 4. He, we're told, there's this guy Barnabas. He's from Cyprus. He sold a field and brought the money and gave it to the church. So we learn, the first introduction to him is that he's a generous guy. And he's living in, in, in uh, Jerusalem, but he's from Cyprus. Uh, he was encouraging to people. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas is his nickname and it means son of encouragement. He's an encourager. Uh, he advocated for Saul. After Saul was converted, you read about that in Acts 9, and people were scared of him because he was persecuting Christians and all of a sudden now he's like preaching the gospel and people were scared. And Barnabas is the one that like took him under his wing, advocated for him, taught him, got a, kind of got him introduced to the right people. And, and what you see here, he gets sent up to Antioch to check it out. Like what's going on up there, Barnabas? Go, go have a look for us. And, and Barnabas realizes good things are happening here, but I can't do all this teaching work myself. I'm going to need some help. And he's the one that goes and recruits Saul, who we later call Paul, to, to help with the teaching ministry. It's a discipled church, a well-taught church. And, and even I would say this, the ministry of a, of a discipled church includes a plurality, that means more than one, a plurality of teachers and leaders. You see it in Acts 13, which we're going to get to in a few minutes. 
where there was more than just one or two teachers. It was a growing, it was a shared work. And for example, you see, um, like here at our church, so there's something I'm excited about. Is our men's ministry has sort of been developing first and third Saturdays of the month. And we're seeing different guys learning to teach and share the word together. I'm excited about that. I'm encouraged by that because a discipled church means there's kind of shared ministry of teaching. But in general, a discipled church or a discipled believers means there, you, know, you have folks who are trained in the scriptures uh, you're set apart from the culture. You don't blend in and look like everybody else. And you're unafraid to be known as Jesus' people. That's really crucial. We get that. So the Antioch church was a discipled church. Um, and the question would be, are you discipled? Have you, are you growing in your faith? Are you grasping scripture? Are you learning to develop a pattern of reading God's word so that when you are confronted with hard decisions around you, hard decisions in your day and in your workplace, in your school, do you have a, a, you know, are you firmly rooted in God's word that you will have the ability to make good and wise decisions? A discipled church and a discipled people. A second amazing quality about the church in Antioch is they were a generous church and a generous people. A generous church uh, verses 27 and on. During this time, some of the prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. You got this guy Agabus. He predicts this big famine that's going to happen. In verse 29, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Give Everyone giving as much as they could. They entrusted their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the Jerusalem elders. The historian Josephus confirms this event. This it's kind of series of bad crops and famines uh, during the reign of Claudius. Claudius ruled from 41 A.D. to 56 A.D. and and right around 46 um, A.D. is when when Josephus confirms this happened, and in particularly in that Jerusalem area. Now, this prophetic word that comes, the Antioch believers have a trust and have a confidence in how God's going to speak to them. They listen and they respond. They don't like, I don't know, you're kind of a wacko. I'm not sure we're really going to believe you. But they res- they're like, oh, okay, this is a kind of a word from the Lord. Let's, let's act on it and let's trust what's being t- told to us and we're going to take action. And, and the, the principle of benevolence is a little bit different than, say, your regular giving, what we would call tithing. A tithe, the word tithe just means a tenth. And we encourage a, the biblical practice, the long-standing pattern in, among God's people of the tithe, where you give, you know, we give a tenth of what we earn to the place where we're primarily fed and taken care of spiritually. So in this case, to the church. But then benevolence is offerings. That's what's given over and above that regular giving. And that's in response to a need, never out of obligation, never out of pressure, right? But as the Lord prompts you to give, giving to charity or to benevolence, you know, benevolence giving is never mandated in the Bible. It's never said you all must give this amount. It's only voluntary. But we're told here they gave what they could. And and that's the encouragement for us is to be generous and to respond when there's a need. Because the Antioch church, they didn't apparently have a big long debate. They heard the, the need and uh, they just made a decision to respond. 
right? Every church, I would say every church needs a kind of a rapid response mechanism to these kind of situations. You've got to be able to hear it and respond quickly. So often when there's a crisis, you don't have time to like debate at length and, and, and wait a year to make a new budget. You've got to respond uh, quickly. And the same thing in your own life. If you live your life with some margin financially, if you're Please don't live paycheck to paycheck. Do everything you can. We'll help you with that. But do everything you can to live with some margin in your life so that when there is a need, you have the means to respond. You're not just down to the wire and say, oh, I'd love to help, but I got nothing. Live with some margin in your life so that you can respond and be generous as the Lord prompts you to do that. Um, and so they, they were kind of free of the bureaucracy that would keep them from helping. And there was oversight, both in the giving and in the receiving, you see that when they went to Jerusalem, they didn't just kind of spread it out. They gave it to the elders of the church. And those men were then responsible to distribute the resources. Now, why was their response so quick? It was because generosity was their default. That was their natural inclination to be generous. Um, And so when you hear of a need, let me just suggest this. When you hear of a need, here's how you make a decision. Here's how you, you know, decide what you're going to do. You first just ask, is this a legitimate need? Like, is this, is this really real or is someone just making this up? So is that a legitimate need? The second thing you ask is, am I able to give? Do we have the means and the resources to help out? And then third is, is the spirit prompting us? That's the, that's the final test. Is the spirit prompting me to give? Do I have the means to give? Is the need legitimate? Now, just because there's a need doesn't mean necessarily it's your responsibility to do something about it. There's a gajillion needs around us, right? But as you hear about it, is it legitimate? Am I able? Is the Spirit moving me to do so? Then you just do it. Just act and let the Lord uh, take care of you. Um, I had a funny moment this week where we were talking to some uh, people and uh, Becky heard about a need and she reached in my pocket, grabbed my wallet. And she goes, what do you have in here? I'm like, where, where, where's your wallet? She goes, oh, I left it at home. Like, <laughs> she, gave, she gave what I had. That's the one thing about giving. It's a little easier to give someone else's money than your own. <laughs> we have a lot of trust. In each other. But sometimes she'll come home from work and say, hey, there was a situation and I, you know, I gave a couple hundred bucks to my coworker because it's awesome, right? You live with some margin in your life, you're able to do that. And it's fun. It's really fun to be generous. So here's the best thing. The Antioch church had received from the Jerusalem church the gospel, right? They had received something of great spiritual value. And so now they were able to respond with something of material value. It's really amazing how the material and the physical are connected. Jesus says you can store, take what you have here and put it up as treasure in heaven. He says, he says you can purchase like eternal friendships by investing in them here in this, in this world. This, the material realm and the spiritual realm are closely connected. And I would just say this. If the Lord does not have your wallet, he does not have your heart. If he has your heart, he has your wallet. I promise you. I promise you. So a growing godly church is a generous church. 
Growing godly people are generous people. Third, easy to follow quality of this church, this growing church, is to be ascending church. And I'm going to read to you the end of, um, we're going to jump ahead now. What happened was they went to Jerusalem, delivered the, the gift. And verse 25 of, of Acts 12 says this, When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned taking John Mark with them. John Mark is Barnabas's cousin, lives in the city. Earlier in that chapter, you hear this, read the story about Peter was miraculously released from prison. He went to the home of a prayer meeting that was John Mark's mom's place. And, uh, and, and so like these guys are kind of well connected. Um, and so they, he went, took John Mark with them and verse chapter 13, verse one, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. And one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. By the way, it's already a diverse church, right? Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, childhood companion of King Herod, etc., Verse four, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed for the island of Cyprus. And there in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them as their assistant. By the way, it's so interesting to me that they go to Cyprus because that's where Barnabas is from. That's where John Mark is from. They're starting the very first missionary journey and they say, you know, let's go where we know some people where the dialect or the language isn't going to be too much of an issue. We know the food there. We can, you know, we're not, we're going to get in trouble with what we eat. It's going to work out. They kind of start a little bit easy, so to speak. Um, but that's a, a, a growing church is ascending church. Acts 13.2 is a massive shift in the gospel ministry of Acts because earlier expansion had been due to persecution. They were sort of forced to go places and share the gospel and and maybe natural flow, you're here and then you go back home and, and you share the gospel there. But this is the first time we have this deliberate mission of being sent out to proclaim Jesus. And the sending is initiated by the Holy Spirit as the leaders were seeking God in worship and in fasting. By the way, there's 21 days of fasting prayer is coming up in January. Again, you can be thinking now how you're going to participate. It's a great season to kind of hear from the Spirit. The church, though, was not actually looking to send anybody out. Things are going awesome. This is a great time for them, right? They're growing. They got great teaching. They're generous. They got amazing leaders. They're relatively safe from persecution. This is just like sweet time for them. Like it's so great. We just love our church and we just love our friends and new people are getting saved. And like, it's a great church and a great time. They were not looking to send anybody away. And then the spirit spoke and the spirit spoke and they responded by sending out Paul and Barnabas. And I, I'd love to see Bethany Church become uh, even more of a sending church to send people out, whether it's to plant local churches or whether it's to the mission field or whether it's to you know, translate the Bible or whether it's to serve the poor locally or abroad. I'd love to see us become increasingly a sending church because the principle of, of, of sending is this. The mission of Paul and Barnabas was a shared mission of the Antioch church. It wasn't just their own adventure. All right. See you guys. It's nice hanging out. 
No, that church was sending them. They were participating. They would have helped support them. They would have, you know, prayed them up. And as you see, they continued to pray and fast for them. They would have equipped them. They would have kind of been their home base. In fact, they come back later. They spend a couple more years teaching there before they go out again. And it was costly for the church. The Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, see those uh, two guys in the corner that, uh, you know, they're not doing anything. Send those guys. No. The Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. In other words, the Holy Spirit said, give me your best. Give me your top leaders. Give me your, your, your number one, you know, discipler and teacher. I want to send those guys out. And that would have left a huge gap for the church. Like, wait, wait, no, you can't send those guys out. Like, we need those guys. And that's who the Holy Spirit sent out. And you might wonder, what does any of this have to do with me? Well, I would say it's just simply this. The the qualities of a great church start in our own hearts. It's an individual commitment. It's an individual beginning place to be well-discipled, to be generous, and to be in support of mission and willing to go should the Lord call you, should the Lord prompt something in you to say, here am I, send me, Lord. But in a grander way, I think it's to remember that you and I are all called to follow Jesus no matter what the culture says, no matter who we are, how qualified we may or may not feel. Jesus didn't say, follow me until it gets hard. Jesus didn't say, you know, follow me as long as you have the freedom to do so. Jesus said this, and Luke wrote this. You can read it in Luke 9. Jesus said this. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus is going to come back. Jesus will stand as the judge. Well, he will sit. He will be seated as the judge. And we will be called to account. And I know for me, I want to be able to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't want to say, Jesus, look at all this stuff I accumulated. There's nothing wrong with stuff. That's fine. I get it. But that's not what makes your life valuable. That's not what makes your life worthy. I want to be able to say, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. I want to be able to say, I took up my cross. We don't want to do what's easy. We want to do what we're called to do. And for this church, it was well-discipled. It was generous. And it was sending. It was a generosity with sending out their people to make the good news known. I'm going to pray and close and just challenge you to be just wrestling with that in your own heart. Jesus, are there things that you're calling me to?
Am I laying down my life? Am I taking up my cross? Am I following you? Am I responding to needs as you prompt me, not out of pressure? Am I willing to, to go wherever you would have me go? I invite you to stand if you're able for the, as we close. God, I want to thank you so much for preserving these encounters. I thank you for those faithful believers in, in Antioch who listened and responded and, and sent out Paul and Barnabas. Lord, they were, they were growing. They, they were generous. Lord, there's so many great things about that church. But they could not keep the message to themselves and they knew that. And Lord, I just pray that we would be the kind of people who would be eager to respond to you, whatever you prompt us to, whether it's prompting us to get into your words so we're well-discipled, or whether it's prompting us to open our wallet so that we're generous, whether it's prompting us to to support missions or to, to go and get involved in some way locally or globally. Lord, we want to be those people taking up our cross daily to follow you. Stir that in us afresh, I pray today, Lord. Stir afresh, I pray. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your great, great love for us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.